Welcome to Disciple Making Ministries Podcast. This is your host, David Spirik, broadcasting from Kyiv, Ukraine. This is a missionary podcast dedicated to multiplying disciple-making movements internationally. Our vision is to finish that disciple-making movement that Jesus started and commissioned to his followers. Our mission is to engage, establish, equip, and empower believers everywhere to start their own disciple-making movements among family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, classmates, and in churches. We value methods that are biblical, intentional, strategic, relational, reproducible, faith-driven, process-driven, prayer-driven, kingdom-driven, and Holy Spirit-driven. We'd like to hear from you, so send us an email to let us know who you are and where you're from. If you have a particular comment or idea for a topic or guest speaker, then feel free to share that with us too. You can find our contact information on our website at www.disciplemakingministries.org. Thanks for listening to our podcast. I'll return in just a few moments with today's main topic. I'd like to take a few moments to share what God has been doing here at Disciple Making Ministries. In January of 2016, God gave me a vision to start a disciple making movement from Ukraine. I spent hours praying and researching about how to do this effectively. I found some disciple making curriculum online on the internet and I asked the author for permission to translate that material into Russian language, which he gave. That research eventually turned into a 12-week seminar entitled The Process and Principles of Disciple-Making. Then in March, God opened a door of opportunity for me to teach this seminar in a local Ukrainian church. In just three months of pouring my life into these young people, I witnessed a huge leap forward in their spiritual growth. And as a result, about a third of them started their own ministries, multiplying disciples in different ways. So then God gave me an idea to expand this audience to the internet. In May, I launched a website dedicated to expanding disciple-making movements internationally. Then in June, God opened another door of opportunity for me to teach disciple-making in another local church. From that, God gave me the idea to, to provide these seminars online. So I did some research and found some online video conferencing platforms that I could use relatively inexpensively. About that same time, God also led me to start a podcast. So after a short learning curve, I had recorded and uploaded and syndicated my first episode on iTunes and Stitcher. It's amazing what God has accomplished. In just six months, he's revealed to me content for a disciple maker's seminar. He's provided translators to translate disciple-making curriculum in Russian language. He's given me opportunities to train over 30 people to make their own disciples. He's helped me start a Facebook social networking group to encourage them. He's directed me to develop a, a website to expand my audience internationally. He's uh, taken me through the learning curve of recording, uploading, and syndicating a podcast series on iTunes and Stitcher. Well, he's expanded my audience uh, through many other means. It's really exciting. 
If you're interested in helping me continue to reach my vision of finishing the disciple-making movement that Jesus started and commissioned, then please let me know. How can you help? Well, you can register for one of my seminars, either online or in a local venue. You can help me uh, with developing new curriculum and media resources for disciple-makers. You can help me translate existing resources into other languages. You can help me build a media studio so that I can expand my audience through other platforms. And of course, we covet your prayers and your provisions to help us reach this vision. So if you're interested, join up by visiting my webpage, www.disciplemakingministries.org. Let me know how God might be calling you to serve in this capacity. Thanks for listening to Disciple Making Ministries podcast. In the previous episode, we answered the question, why Disciple Making Ministries? You know, in a time when there are so many ministry models out there from which to choose, such as the traditional church or the seeker-sensitive church, the attractional church, the emergent church, business empire church, the end times ministries church, why return to a first century model of making disciples? Aren't these modern models more effective and cultural than the first century model? Well, in the last episode, we gave three excellent reasons for returning to a disciple-making model. Do your research, study the Bible, pray to God, ask him to reveal to you the truth about which ministry model you should use. I am confident that God will show you that disciple-making is his main method of ministry. You know, if we truly believe that Jesus is our model, should we not adopt that same model, the same method that he used to spread his kingdom? God sent his son, Jesus Christ, as an incarnational, relational, transformational, and redemptive model that we too should use. And then God sent his Holy Spirit to empower Jesus' disciples to be witnesses also using the same model. So instead of why disciple-making ministries, the question should be, why not disciple-making ministries? In today's episode, we want to ask and answer a second question. What exactly is disciple-making ministries? You know, if you ask 10 believers to define what it means to be a disciple, you may receive 10 different answers. Some may say that, Discipleship is accepting a religion. Others may say that discipleship means attending some kind of church. Some may say that discipleship means accepting a set of doctrinal positions. And others may say that discipleship means attracting large crowds for evangelistic purposes. Well, if you do a word study in the Greek on the word disciple, you may define discipleship as being a learner or a follower. However, if you carefully examine the life of Jesus' disciples, your definition will probably need to broaden. It is true that the disciples were practically involved in all those areas. The disciples of Jesus were followers of the Master. They were learners. They were living in community. Jesus taught them life lessons 
and they adopted a new set of beliefs. Jesus sent them out on kingdom-expanding missions, and they learned how to live out life, these principles that Jesus was teaching them. So disciple-making ministries involves so much more than a trite dictionary definition. If we were to boil down disciple-making into one phrase, it might be something like this. Disciple-making is a process of growing spiritually until you are reproducing the same process in others. Someone once summed it up in this way, saying, Discipleship is living to learn and learning to live like Christ did. This idea of spiritual maturity is found all throughout the New Testament. Let me read to you Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Again, in Colossians, he mentions maturity. Colossians 1.28. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So, discipleship is a process of spiritual maturity until people are reproducing that process in others. You know, everyone goes through stages of maturity. There's uh, no concept in the physical or spiritual world where something is born as an adult. You don't find this in any practical organisms. Plants are born as seedlings and they have to grow up. Fish are born as babies. Birds of the air are born as babies. Animals of the land are born as babies. Humans are born as babies. And the same is in the spiritual realm. So when humans are born again spiritually, they are born as infants and not as adults. Before becoming a spiritually fruitful tree, you must first go through a process of spiritual growth. The Apostle John understood this need for spiritual growth and he described at least four stages of spiritual growth. I turn your attention to the book of 1 John chapter 2 verses 12 through 14 where John writes, I am writing to you little children because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who's been from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you children because you know the father I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. John introduces the first stage of spiritual maturity in verse 12. He uses the word translated here into the English as little children, but that word actually comes from the Greek root technion, That word literally refers 
to newborn infants who have just had their umbilical cord cut. John goes on to describe this first stage of spiritual maturity in verse 12. He uses the qualifying phrase, Your sins have been forgiven for his name's sake. So these types of believers are like newborn babies. They have received the grace of God through faith in Jesus, and they have received the Holy Spirit, but like newborn babies, they can do little more than cry for assistance. They are practically dependent upon parents to feed them and to care for them. Now, those of you who are physical parents probably understand what I'm talking about. Think of all the time and energy and resources you poured into helping your little babies mature to the next stage of life. You had to feed them. You had to change their diapers. You had to learn how to, you had to teach them how to stand and walk. You had to communicate a lot with them and ensure them of your love. You had to meet their every need, sometimes being interrupted in the middle of the night to take care of them. Similarly, spiritual infants will also need a lot of attention and care in order to move them on to the next stage of maturity. You will have to keep these children very close to you and protect them from harm and nurture them along the way. John writes about the second stage of spiritual maturity in verse 13. He writes, I've written to you children because you know the Father. Now, in the English language, this word children sounds the same as before. But if you're reading the Greek, you will discover that John actually used a different word, paideon. And the meaning becomes more clear when you read the next qualifying phrase which states, because you know the Father. Taking this evidence together, we gain a clearer picture of this second stage of spiritual maturity. This stage is about children, children who have developed an awareness of their relationship with the Father. They are like elementary school children. They are in need of family and community in order to influence them on to the next phase of life. They've moved beyond milk to solid food. They are able to move around by themselves without help. They are able even to perhaps feed themselves and perform personal hygiene. But they are still in need of training, correction, rebuking, and teaching in righteousness. They are still heavily dependent upon parental relationships to help them move to the next level. It's like children who are out on the playground. As a parent, you give them certain boundary levels in which they are able to freely roam, but you're always still there to protect them from potential harm. John's third level of spiritual maturity is found in verse 13. He addresses this stage actually twice using the same Greek word, neoniskos. And this Greek word literally means a young man. John qualifies this stage with certain phrases. He says that the young man has overcome the evil one. And then in verse 14, he says the young man has become strong 
and the word of God is abiding in him, and again he has overcome the evil one. So in this stage of spiritual maturity, a young person is able to maintain a personal relationship with God without outside help. And this young person is engaging in spiritual warfare and beginning to experience victory in life. Perhaps some of you parents out there have a child who's reached this stage. As they grow up, you're able to release them more and more out into the world. At, at this stage, they're better able to take care of themselves and to protect themselves from harmful situations. However, as a parent, you still maintain some kind of boundaries. You still give them curfews and times that they need to be home. John's fourth and last stage in this passage is the stage of spiritual father. We find this in verses 13 and 14. Now, spiritual fathers are addressed twice, and the name father comes from the Greek word patir. John qualifies fathers with the extra phrase, you have known him who has been from the beginning. And John repeats that phrase in verse 14. Now, spiritual fathers are those who demonstrate real marks of spiritual maturity. They have demonstrated a level of stability and they deserve the respect of others. They are not simply people or believers who've warmed a pew for the past 30 years. You know, spiritual maturity has nothing to do with the amount of time you've been a believer. I know Christians who've been believers for decades who are still very spiritually immature. But I also know Christians who have been believers for just a few years who demonstrate Christ-like character in community. So spiritual maturity does not have anything to do with age. It also does not have anything to do with your particular set of spiritual gifts. I remind you that the Corinthian church was greatly gifted with spiritual gifts. They were able to speak in tongues. They were great leaders. They had words of knowledge, etc. But they behaved as mere children in their church community. They were divisive. They were argumentative, boastful, undisciplined, and proud people. In fact, they were so immature that Paul called them men of flesh. Now, spiritual fathers are not like that at all. They demonstrate real Christian character in community relationships. They are the ones who are maintaining a deep, abiding relationship with the Lord, and they're standing strong against the schemes of the evil one. And they're being conformed to the image of Christ in their lifestyle, attitudes, and actions. They're also reproducing spiritual children who are following their positive example. I include that last point because many people think that they are spiritual fathers without reproducing the life of Christ into others. But I question them, how can you be a spiritual parent if you're not reproducing the life into somebody else? So spiritual fathers 
are living out the life of Christ and they're reproducing that life into the life of others around them. Likewise, Disciple Making Ministries seeks to engage, establish, equip, and empower you to be such a disciple maker. We've developed this systematic approach of spiritual maturity, and we are able to teach you how to transition others from one stage of maturity to the next until they also are reproducing disciples of others. If you'd like to learn how to make disciples, then you may register for one of our seminars, either in an online venue or in your local church location. I'll return after this break to briefly share about our seminars, Seven Stages of Spiritual Maturity. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Welcome back to Disciple Making Ministries podcast. To make our Disciple Maker Seminar more incarnational, relevant, practical, and transformational, we have separated our seminar into seven stages of spiritual maturity. We've actually learned by experience that four stages are too few to practically teach everything that's needed for spiritual growth. For example, we have found that we really needed to address the spiritually unborn phase because it too is a process. It takes time to move someone from being a hardened unbeliever to accepting Christ to actually having faith that results in new birth. There are many who think that they're saved because of tradition or culture, but who have yet to experience that new birth by faith in Jesus Christ. We've maintained John's infant and children stages of spiritual maturity, but after that we decided to divide or separate the other two phases into four. So we divided the second two phases into youth, adult, parent, and grandparent phases. You see, we found that youth are not completely ready for adult roles and responsibilities. Likewise, adults are not completely ready for parenting roles and responsibilities. Parents are not completely ready for grandparenting roles and responsibilities. Each stage has a unique nature and a unique objectives to fulfill. So here are our seven stages of spiritual maturity. One, the spiritually unborn. Two, spiritual infants, three, spiritual children, four, spiritual youth, five, spiritual adults, six, spiritual parents, and seven, spiritual grandparents. We feel that these seven phases naturally mirror the seven physical phases of maturity, and therefore they are very practical, relevant, and transformational. To find out more about these seven stages of spiritual maturity, you can go to our website at www.disciplemakingministries.org and register for one of our Disciple Makers seminars. 
And there we will teach you more about these seven phases and how to transition someone from phase to phase until they're reproducing spiritual fruit of their own. Let's consider stage number one, the spiritually unborn. How would you characterize the spiritually unborn? Well, they are ignorant of God. They have a lot of misunderstandings. They may even be rebellious and they are living in unbelief. They may show disinterest in spiritual things. They probably are denying Jesus and they're probably living more like the world than like Christ. Some objectives that you can have in order to transition these people from the spiritually unborn phase to the spiritual infant phase is you need to help them develop an awareness of God. You need to present a clear presentation of the gospel. You need to help them understand the meaning of that gospel and to evaluate their place in that gospel message. They need to have a positive attitude towards the gospel and to understand their personal sin and then to make a personal decision that leads to repentance and true faith and new birth in the Holy Spirit. Allow me to read two verses that are related to spiritual unborn. John chapter 3 verses 5 through 8 says this, Jesus answered, Verily, truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone born of the Spirit. Then 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 15 reads like this. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. One thing we've learned is that if you don't move them from being spiritually unborn to being spiritual infants, they will never have the capacity to understand spiritual truth and to grow and mature. Now let me describe the second phase of spiritual maturity, which is the spiritual infants. These types of people can be characterized as believers, but largely they are still ignorant of biblical truth, and they are still confused about certain parts of the Bible. Sometimes they also live independently from God, and they are very dependent on others to take care of them, and they live undisciplined lives. Well, what can you do with these people? How should you lead them forward and transition them to the next phase? The objectives for this phase is to care for them like a spiritual parent would for his children. You need to assure them of salvation. You need to teach them some basic doctrines or basic teachings from the Bible. You need to review the nature of God with them. You need to review the life of Christ with them. Help them understand their new identity as being new creatures in Christ. Introduce to them the topic of spiritual gifts so that they know that there is a future for them in the ministry. This phase can be characterized by a couple of verses. I'll first read from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2-3. through 3. Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, 
so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And then Second Peter 3.18, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. This spiritual infant phase requires that you teach them to long for the milk of the word and to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'll build this foundation into their lives, then they'll be able to move on to the next stage of spiritual growth. Stage three is called the spiritual children stage of spiritual growth. Many in this stage still demonstrate characteristics of selfishness. They might lack community and they lack love and they are in need of teaching, of correction, rebuking, and training in righteousness. You see, they may have understood some doctrinal issues in their heads, but it has yet to seep down into their hearts to the point of that they are becoming more effective in ministering to others. So you'll need to establish them. You'll need to help them move truth from their heads down to their hearts. They'll need to be water baptized. They'll need to be established in community relationships. They'll need to deepen their love for God and for others. They'll need some additional teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. They'll need to start spiritual disciplines, habits, such as regular Bible study, prayer, journaling, and so forth. They'll need to learn about their identity as a child of God. They'll need to become established fully in God's grace so that they can move on to the next phase. And you may even want to start teaching them about spiritual gifts in this phase so that they can learn how they can be used in the kingdom of God in the future. I'm reminded of two verses for this phase. The first one comes from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Spiritual children should be moving on from those elementary teachings they should be transitioning to a spiritual youth phase. Now let me read a second verse. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now our fourth stage is the spiritual youth stage of maturity. Spiritual youth can be described as being God-centered and other-centered. They are often also action-centered. and Sometimes they can become overzealous and overconfident. They are usually in need of becoming involved in ministry, and they have a lot of energy that needs to be directed and put in a proper direction. So they will also need to develop intentionality and strategy in their future ministry. So what do you need to do with uh, the spiritual youth people? You need to 
engage them in personal responsibility, give them ministries to be involved in, strengthen their spiritual disciplines, help them to apply the reality of who they are in Christ to their life, help them develop a Holy Spirit-driven life, help them apply practical faith to life lessons, and to demonstrate Christian character in community relationships. And then you'll need to introduce them to spiritual warfare and to vision for leadership so that they too can stand strong and begin to advance forward in the kingdom of God. I'm reminded of uh, two verses for this spiritual youth phase. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 17, it reads like this. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you're not able to do whatever you want. And then John chapter 16, verses 13 through 15, reads like this. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes care of mine and will disclose it to you. Now, stage five of our seminar is the spiritual adult phase. Now, the people in this phase are generally those who are feeding themselves spiritually. They are demonstrating a disciplined life. They have a certain level of discernment. They are exercising their spiritual gifts, and they are in the process of becoming more intentional and strategic in their ministries. So what do you need to do to help them get to the next stage of spiritual maturity? Well, they probably need to help them set appropriate goals and to strive towards excellence. You will probably need to mentor them and share some of your wisdom with them. You will need to help them understand their identity as priests and kings so that they can become effective leaders. You will have to teach them deeper principles about spiritual warfare so they can fight off the schemes of the evil one. And then you can help them develop their leadership and ministry skills so they can become more effective. This stage reminds me of two verses of Scripture. The first is in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. The spiritual adult is able to discern good and evil, and they're able to put these principles into practice. And then in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, it reads like this. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The spiritual adults are learning how to abound more and more in all knowledge and discernment and they are living a life filled with the fruit of righteousness. Stage number six in our seminar is the spiritual parenting stage of spiritual maturity. 
These people are already feeding themselves, and they're quite mature, they're being intentional, they're being strategic, and they have started the process of reproducing their own disciples. Now they need to build teams and to begin to develop leaders. So what do you need to do to help them to reach the next phase of their growth? You need to help them remain focused, help them press on towards the goal, help them lay down solid spiritual foundations in the lives of others. You may want to develop an accountability partnership with them and help them to learn how to build effective teams and develop other leaders so that they can expand their influence. I'm reminded of two verses again for this stage of spiritual maturity. The first is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 10 through 12. You are witnesses and so is God how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved towards you believers. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This verse reminds us of what it means to be a spiritual parent. We have spiritual children that we need to take care of. We need to exhort them, encourage them, implore them like a father would so that they could live upright, devout, blameless lives. The second verse comes from Colossians chapter 1 verses 28 through 29. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. In this phase, they are already producing more disciples of Christ, and they are building teams and developing leaders and expanding the kingdom of God. It's amazing how this phase can really produce a lot of spiritual fruit, multiplying it rapidly around the world. So you want your disciples at least to reach the spiritual parenting phase. And the seventh and last phase in our model is the spiritual grandparenting phase. These kinds of people you can easily recognize. They are sources of experience, hope, wisdom, respect, honor, stability, and strength. Wow, how in the world can you encourage spiritual grandparents? It may seem like a daunting task, but there are some things you can do you can encourage them to tell their stories, to impart their wisdom, to partner with spiritual parents who are reproducing disciples, yet to do it in such a way that the parents have a responsibility and are making their own decisions. You can encourage them to be blessing givers, legacy makers, torch bearers, and standard setters in the community of Christ. God really wants us to reach this stage of spiritual grandparenting when we see multiple generations of disciples being produced through our lives and the lives of those to whom we minister. In Isaiah chapter 46, 4, it says, Even to your old age, I will be the same. Even to your graying years, I will bear you. I have done it, and I will carry you, and I will bear you, and I will deliver you. There's power in the people who are at this stage. 1 Corinthians 10, 31-33 reads like this, Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 
Give no offense either to Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. A spiritual grandparent is one who is seeking the profit of the many, so that they may be saved. And then I'll close with this verse from Exodus chapter 34, <clears throat> verses 6 through 7. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third, fourth generations. This verse reminds us that grandparents have a multi-generational influence, and it's very important how you grandparents live out your spiritual lives in front of your children and grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. Thanks for joining me in this uh, journey of going through the seven stages of spiritual maturity in my seminar. If you'd like to find out more, if you'd like to register for a seminar, please visit our website at www.disciplemakingministries.org. We really appreciate our audience. We're glad you've joined us today, and we hope you'll continue to listen to us in future episodes.